Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 250th Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. Boy, that's a lot of shows. That's a lot of talking. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in California in Silicon Beach, the third most important center for entrepreneurs, incubators, and accelerators on the planet. Now, last week I gave a presentation to a sold-out crowd of business owners in Arizona, and it was fantastic. And uh, again, I'd like to thank Chris Batone and everyone there who made uh, the visit so memorable. And to the sold-out crowd, I really appreciate it. This is my 250th show, and who would have thought that over five years ago, when Voice America gave me a 13-week trial, that we would still be going strong five years later. This reminds me of a great saying. Vision without execution is simply hallucination. I love that. Vision without execution is simply an hallucination. This program is all about helping entrepreneurs small business, and in fact, everyone in business to be more successful. Every week we bring you information, great advice, and uh, we've done around 300 fantastic interviews on the program to help you maximize your own success. So, And thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs and making our 250th show happen. I really do appreciate it. Every day, more and more entrepreneurs are creating great new innovations and are seeking investment from friends and family. Also seeking it from angels, venture capitalists, and now these days, crowdfunding. Very few of these pitches actually obtain funding. In fact, last week I read that the failure rate in obtaining funding is about 85%. So what do these entrepreneurs do wrong? Firstly, they send out a generic letter that says, Dear Sir, Dear Madam, So a missive like that is just immediately thrown in the trash. So never send out a solicitation letter without speaking to the targeted funder first. Talk to them, find out if they're interested, give them an overview, personalise the presentation. Of course, if you can, get face-to-face. That's the first thing to try. But if you can't, follow this path, send it priority, and then follow it up to ensure they received it. Dear sir or madam simply says, we're sending this bloody thing to everyone and the entrepreneur immediately loses, the investor immediately loses interest. Secondly, don't ever say something like, this opportunity is limited to just one investor or don't miss out, buy now. (laughs) You sound like you use car salesman. For the investor, getting involved in your business is a serious long-term investment decision. Pressure tactics and hard sells that are obviously bullshit are not only inappropriate, they're counterproductive. You need to respect the process. Thirdly, it's hard to believe, but many entrepreneurs fail to follow up. You make the best pitch of your life, you have the investor on the edge of his or her seat, And then you don't follow it up. So it's all for naught. Remember, the um, potential investor is really busy. He's got lots of meetings and phone calls and people coming in to see him. And he doesn't have that much time. So make sure you follow up. Never provide a cheap, crappy, cutthroat 
cutthroat, cutthroat, presentation. Spend a few bob on it. After all, it's that important. Whether you're using PowerPoint or a top-end software, make sure your presentation looks professional. Review it carefully. Make sure there are absolutely no mistakes. But don't skip this step. Make sure it's professional. I got one today from a company who's going into a big money business and it's 32 pages and just a mess. It's orange and blue and red and it looks like a kid's colouring book. The print's different on every page. There's thousands of pieces of dropped-in art everywhere. It, you wouldn't read it. Seriously, the average investor just would not read it. So, um, and they're after a couple of million bucks. It's unbelievable. Number five, when you meet the target investor, it's important to develop rapport. So certainly talk about kids, sports, and other topics of conversation to create a rapport, but keep this discussion really brief. Ensure your emphasis is on what the company does, what you require, and how they can participate. Don't forget that you are usually working on in a very tight time frame. Number six, never forget the financials. Now, investors know that financials, particularly for a startup, are a guess, but they'll still zero in on them. And if you don't provide them, it suggests that you're unprepared. So give it your best shot. Put in numbers and justify them. You know, you may be well out, but at least if you've made a good effort and justified it, you'll get a second shot. And finally, another mistake that many entrepreneurs make is to have somebody attend meetings from your end that's not the decision maker or to meet people at the other end who are not the decision maker. This is just an absolute waste of time. So I hope those seven tips will help you raise the funds you need and I hope you become wildly successful. So while we're on the number seven, let's look at the seven social media marketing trends that have dominated 2016. One, less is more and better is better. Social media is crowded. Billions of users with social profiles following hundreds of different accounts. Users are beginning to prefer hyper-relevant, in-the-moment content to just regurgitated updates or retrospective posts. And you've got a demand for fewer but better quality posts. Secondly, a shift is happening in platform dynamics. Until recently, the three big players of the social media game were Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And all three platforms really served a very similar functions for slightly different niches. Today, those positions have changed and they've diversified. Instagram and Snapchat are newer players in the game, but each still serves a niche role despite having massive user bases. Three, live streaming is getting bigger. Video content has seen a huge spike in popularity, being more accessible, and users are growing tired of the older mediums. Combined with users demanding more live and in-the-moment updates, live streaming video is booming, especially with the recent release of Facebook Live. The fourth social media marketing trend dominating 2016 is that buy buttons are becoming more common. Advertising on social media has changed from an advertising experience to a shopping experience. Ads and products available to purchase are starting to appear in users', users news feeds and profiles and with fewer distinctions from the organic content. And they're often associated with the addition of a buy button. 
and this leads to a integrated cart which makes it easier to convert followers into real customers. Number five, new applications are changing social interaction. Social media platforms were developed for personal engagement directly and for the most part, conversational. Now, platforms like Snapchat are allowing more one-sided conversations in a fleeting and really temporary context. Platforms like Facebook are launching communication channels like Messenger for Business, and that serves as a kind of customer service wing. Brands and consumers are able to talk to each other in new, more diverse ways, and that range is only broadening. The sixth social media marketing trend in 2016 we're seeing a lot more personalization. Now, users are just bloody tired of seeing posts that they don't give a stuff about. There's a greater demand for personalization and customization, and platforms and publishers alike are addressing that demand now. In fact, Facebook was recently accused of having a political bias because its personalization algorithm tended to display stories with a political leaning already similar to its targeted users' preferences. And I don't personally see anything wrong with that, but. Number seven, we're getting broader app functionality. Social media apps must make money to survive. They sell ad space and user data, but they lose attention and user potential every time a user clicks out of an app. So social platforms are doing more to keep users involved in in-app for the longest time possible, offering peripheral functionality to keep users contented on more fronts. Some of these functions include in-app search functions, embedded content, and in Facebook's case, even a personal digital assistant. Now these trends are here now for many reasons. You don't have to adopt all of them or develop new strategies for them but you do have to recognize their existence even if you're um, only playing defense. These are the forerunners of tomorrow's developments. Now, we hear a lot about Tesla and they've copped a fair bit of shit after that um, accident where the gentleman was killed, but a Tesla Model X autopilot just saved the life of Joshua Neely who's a 37-year-old attorney in Springfield, Missouri. He was driving home a couple of weeks ago when he suddenly felt a tremendous pain in his chest. And believe me, as one who has had a heart attack, you absolutely know what's going on. Um, when I had mine, the pain in my chest was just unbelievable and I tried to, I was giving a speech at the time and I tried to give the, grab the microphone stand to hold myself up and I... Uh, my left arm wouldn't work, and I knew instantly. Anyway, Neely was in heavy tr highway traffic as the pain in his chest got worse and worse. And if you haven't had a heart attack, I can't tell you what the pain's like. It is excruciating. In the moment, Neely calculated he could reach the hospital faster by autopilot than if he tried to stop in traffic and call an ambulance. So he let his Tesla Model X take over for more than 20 miles until he reached the hospital in Branson. Nearly helped steer the car the final stretch to the emergency door and made it to the emergency room. He was treated and he survived, but doctors told him he was extremely lucky to be alive. He had suffered a blockage of lung arteries that killed some 50,000 people a year and 70% of those deaths become, come within an hour of the symptoms. So we really only just made it. So the um, anecdote is a counterpoint to anxiety over the June death of a driver using autopilot and a Tesla Model S. Um, I'm not sure. I thought that the um, truck 
unexpectedly slammed into the side of Tesla of the of the Tesla. But a friend of mine, Richard Gibbs from Metal, uh, advised me that it was actually the Tesla ran into the side of the truck as the truck was doing a left-hand turn. So um, there's been multiple cases of autopilot automatic safety features saving lives, although more typically it, it occurs through avoiding obstacles or preventing collisions. You're listening to the 250th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Now, we're here to help entrepreneurs to become more successful about any aspect of business. Please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it immediately on air or email you directly. And make sure you subscribe to my daily newsletter. It's going gangbusters and more and more people are subscribing every day. I initially thought it was going to put people off, but in fact, it's done quite the opposite. We've got readers in over 60 countries and it's just a 30-second grab of what you should need to know today. On today's 250th show, I've chosen a guy to interview who has appeared in front of over 1 billion people. That is one fucking shitload of people. 1 billion. In the mid-1990s, today's guest Mark Shulman was a drummer for the band Simple Minds. And he simps played with Foreigner, Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, Destiny's Child, Billy Idol, Beyonce, and world tours with Sure and Pink. Great guy, this guy. He is just so unassuming and so accommodating and lovely. And he's also a metal member of Metal Media, Entertainment, Technology, Alpha Leaders, a phenomenal group. Mark Shulman, he's a superstar. And I'll be back immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel with Mark Shulman. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Where over the past five and a half years, we've given you insights into the lives of, I don't know, 260 or 270 or something of the world's most interesting people, what they do that makes them great, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's, it, there is nothing harder than being successful in business. It is bloody tough. You know, not Somewhere between 95 and 99% of all businesses fail, and that's, a, that's an extraordinary percentage, and it just goes to show just how difficult it is, and that's why I stress on this show constantly how important it is to have mentors. You must surround yourself with mentors and not just friends who like you and are going to say yes to everything you suggest, but people who've had experience in various aspects of business, people who are not afraid to say to you, look, that is a fucking ridiculous idea, you know, and people that will help you make the right decisions. And we need to listen to them. We need to buy business books and we need to take on board that advice because everybody in business, doesn't matter what you do, you can open a dry cleaning store or you can have the newest 
app, we all face the same challenges. So everybody has to dream, you have to persevere, and you have to overcome obstacles. The great achievers amongst us find that find a, a good work-life balance, give back to the community, and remain caring, giving people. Today's guest is a superstar, and he ticks all of those boxes. Added to that, he's a bloody good guy. Now, in the mid-1990s, Mark Shulman was the drummer for the band Simple Minds and has since played with Foreigner, Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, Destiny's Child, Billy Idol, Sher, Pink, and uh, he's also a music producer. Oh, I left out Beyonce. Sorry. Um, also a music <laughs> producer and audio engineer, and he's a co-owner of West Triad Recording Studios in Venice, California. He's the recipient of new, numerous gold and platinum discs and has appeared on nearly every American and Euro- European variety show on television, including the Grammys, David Letterman, Tonight Show, Conan O'Brien. It just goes bloody on and on. This guy has done everything. And not only that, he's got writing and production credits that include films and TV shows and commercials and jingles for people like McDonald's and Sony and the Disney Channel and Showtime and USA Network, Sopranos, School of Rock, Beverly Hills 3. I wish I had a resume like that. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Mark. Oh, Bob. <laughs> Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was the most extraordinary intro ever. You win. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. Thank you. Um, now, you're one of the most famous drummers in the world, and yet... I know you through metal, which um, for those of you who haven't been listening to me over the past five years, stands for Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders, which essentially consists of the leading 2,000 technological and digital superstars in America. So it's a pretty highfalutin group. Mark, what brings you to metal? (laughs) Well, you know, know, at at, at a point... I realized in my career, I was talking to a buddy of mine, Paul Stoltz, who created the Adversity Caution, a really great thinker, great friend. We were hanging out on his deck. <clears throat> and he said, hey, man, how many people do you think you played for in your life? And after about a half hour, <clears throat> I think I must have turned white. And he said, I think, oh, my gosh. I think I must have played for over a billion people in my life. I performed. And, and it was right around that time I was thinking about writing a book. Because I thought, you know, I'd gotten into doing a little bit of corporate speaking, because I've been doing these music clinics uh, and essentially telling people about the experiences that I have had and how that can relate back to the corporate world because we all have experiences, we all have stories. And uh, certainly, you know, there's great metaphors in music. The band metaphor relates to the team metaphor, the hierarchy of the tour, the artist being the CEO. And I started realizing, well, I probably have something that I have to say. And so I created a program really high-energy rock-and-roll-based program um, for the corporate world, and I, and I decided to write a book because I realized that I failed a, an audition miserably early on in the beginning of my career and had to recover from that. And I failed because of, you know, like deleterious stage fright, performance anxiety, which we all get. Not just related to the stage, it's related to any kind of communication. Getting a sales pitch, talking to your boss, talking to your kid, giving a toast at a friend's wedding. Communication is it. And oftentimes, we get paralyzed yeah. by that, those tenuous moments. And I thought, well, I'm pretty qualified to talk about that. <laughs> so I ended up doing a lot of research, went down the rabbit hole. Um, I tell my wife I'm going to write a book. She says, that's great, honey. Why don't you interview some other quote-unquote top performers? So I ended up interviewing over 50 people right. in a variety of different industries. Tony Shea, the CEO for Zappos. Yes. You know, astronaut Alan Bean, actor Jeremy Piven. And... I, I, I realized that I had amassed a, a, a really wonderful information, some wonderful stories, and endorsements of three core concepts that I had realized that I had in my intellectual property. So I wrote a book called Conquering Life Stage Fight, Three Steps to Top Performance. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got in the middle because I started going into speaking, and I went to my, my first National Speakers Association, and I met... The lovely and talented Scott Page, who you know very well. Oh, I sure. love Scott. Yeah, he's, Scott, he's another one of these gems. We were talking oh, about Scott, Freddie Scott Revelle is, earlier. 
Talk about an over oh, and Freddie. I mean, you know, you guys are overachievers, man. You know, yeah, that, I, mean, I mean, you talk about mentors. Uh, Scott immediately became a mentor of mine because what a, what a technological wizard and what a guy who just had an yeah. understanding of how to grow a business. And and he introduced me to Ken. Yeah. And Ken is the founder of uh, of Metal International. Yep. And um, and I, that that just expanded this entire network of brilliant, brilliant people. I mean, look. You know, I, I got to tap into what you said about mentors because to me, I essentially look at anybody that I can learn from as, as becomes a mentor to me. I, I feel like I'm a chronic student yep. and I think to have success in, it, it's, it's kind of like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know unless you're just a pompous asshole yeah. and the pompous assholes don't succeed. That's right. It's the people, it's the people that are always like a sponge willing to absorb as much information and be willing to make mistakes. And yep. be willing to learn. So that, that to me is, so I, I kind of look at life as one mentor after another. You know, you're, you're, you've become a mentor now because you're successful and I'm going to, you know, I want to tap into you and find out everything that I can learn from you and, and give back everything that I know in return. You yeah. know, one of the, well, the guy that originally gave me my uh, publishing deal and he ended up uh, not doing the publishing company was a gentleman named Tim Sanders, who you might know. Yes. And Tim is an amazing thinker. And Tim, his philosophy is like, he's like, man, get it back. Give as much away as you possibly can. Because a lot of people try to hoard the information instead of sharing it. Yes. And Absolutely. I've become a you know, supporter of that. It's like, man, how can we exchange? That's what Battle International is. That's why we're talking because you and I met. Because that's a group of people whose currency is information and exchanging what we all have. That some, you know, the, the missing link that others might need. And that's, that's just, that's sort of my, my mantra, my, my philosophy, you know, like, how can I be of service, man? How can, how can I be of service to you, Bob? How can I be of service to anybody that, you know, that, that can gain from whatever experience and knowledge that I've amassed? Yeah, that's great. Um, well, anytime you've got a spare 20 minutes, I'll teach you everything I know. Um, 20 minutes? Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> now, but if you're... you could do it in 20 minutes. That's, you know, then you, then, you know, you will be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your parents are both college, English, college English professors. Um, yeah. You're a yeah. classically <laughs> trained cellist. And as a teenager, you played cello with the Los Angeles Junior Philharmonic. Now, all that's pretty hoity-toity sort of background, isn't it? That's all sort well, of Beverly here, Hills here, background. Here's, here's the truth, man. The truth is, like, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and that was it. I saw Ringo. I saw the Screaming Girls. I, you know, I made the rock and roll sign at three years old. Said, oh, I gotta play drums. And my mom said, No, it's too late. Can't you play a nice instrument? My older brother Randy played violin. So when we're at his violin lesson, who my godfather was teaching him, I saw this looked like a big violin in the corner. I said, Okay, Mama, I'll play that. So they played cello, and then finally they couldn't deny my passion for drums, and I was a bit schizophrenic because I played cello in the orchestra and drums in the band. But playing cello gave me an amazing sense of pitch and musicality, so I've got no regrets. But I would never call myself a cellist now out of respect to cello, cello players because, you know, I kind of kind of stopped when I was 13 or 14 because I got so into drums and girls that I said, ah, hell with cello. This is more fun. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's not too many groupies, I wouldn't imagine, hanging around the Los, Ange- Los Angeles Junior Philharmonic. But it's a long way, it's a long way from being a, a cellist um in a philharmonic to being a rock and roll drummer with Billy Idol, for example. I mean, that seems to me to be about as far apart as <laughs> yeah, you can get. I'm better suited for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did your parents say when you, you know, really decided to get it? I remember donkeys years ago, I had a television show for a number of years, and when it was cancelled, um, you know, I went round and did clubs and appeared everywhere I could, and I ended up taking a gig um, in Singapore in a drag show and uh, my mother was that I would have loved to have seen <laughs> my mother that? was absolutely horrified <laughs> first of all why did you tell her <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good hey, question Mom, I got this amazing gig I'm, I'm, I'm in a drag show but it's a, it's a highly rated drag show <laughs> I, I would love to have seen them. well no your poor mom probably sat down and started crying but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right um, 
Now, you also wear the hats of host. You're an MC. You're a keynote speaker. You appear on television and live events and conventions for big global companies. And at the 2016 New York Tech Summit, the organisers said, Mark was literally amazing, hands down the best keynote we've ever had. So what's the message that you deliver to that level of business achievers and entrepreneurs that obviously, you know, resonates so well with them? What, what is it? Is it just your good looks or what is it? Yes, my good looks. <laughs> well, as I said, I, I realize that um, there's information that I have gained and things I've studied and philosophies I've implemented in my own life that are across the board resonant in different industries. Because I speak to and everyone like Johnson & Johnson, to QVidian, uh, uh, to uh, sales software, uh, the New York Tech Summit, you know, the book, Conquering Life Stage Ride, the three steps to top performance um, are actually derived from another great thinker, one, one of my dear friends and a brilliant man named Dr. Jim Samuels. And I call them the three C's, the clarity, capability, and confidence. And they're deceptively simple sounding, but essentially I, I talk about my experience clearly, clearly defining my goals so I'm eliminating all confusion, you know, making absolute decisions, which enable me to take definitive action. And yep. then I develop capability. That's the second C. And it's not about what we play, so to speak. It's how we play it. So it's, it's having the clarity to develop capability and focus on the right things. Because, you know, the, the thing that screwed me up, I, I failed miserably, failed this audition with bad English back in the days. Many people know that band. <laughs> And it was because of what I didn't know, the missing information. The missing yeah. information, usually the simple stuff, that's what kills relationships, projects, companies. Um, and so if, if you have real clarity about every detail and you know exactly how to spend your time to develop the capability, that's what leads to absolute, true, unadulterated confidence as opposed to false confidence. So I just essentially tell my story working through these three stages uh, I, you know, these three steps and then how it relates back to the individual mandate of a particular event or conference. Mm. You know, if it's a tech, like if it's, it's techy, like I might, you know, make some tech examples, salespeople, I'll, I'll make, I make some sales examples. Um, I did, an, I did QVinian make sales software. So they wanted to celebrate the unsung heroes. This is sure. what comes to mind. So I thought, well, how can I draw a parallel between my life and their life. And I thought, okay. So in the middle of the, of the presentation, I go, you guys, can you imagine what it's like being on stage or in front of 20,000 people, 40,000 eyeballs, and not one eyeball is looking at you. <laughs> and I go, what? Do they think I'm a rock star? The truth is that I'm in the service business. I'm in what I call the back line. I'm the unsung hero. I'm the one that's there to make Pink look good or Cher look good or Billy Idol. Yeah. I'm not the, not the rock star. And so I can, you know, I can, people can immediately sort of relate back to that experience and they can relate back to the failed audition, the failed interview, what they missed, the critical information they missed, how to now find that information, how to realign their orientation to be able to create that clarity and, and make the decision. And I essentially just motivate people to take action. Look, you know, you don't give a speech unless you want to change the world, unless you want, you want to motivate people to take action. You know better than I do. Sure. You're a world-class speaker. You've been doing it way longer than me, and I've been learning, you know, volumes from you. But you know, man, you want those people, you know, I, I hate the term motivational speaker because any good speaker motivates. It's yeah. like, what you motivate? I want you to walk away taking definitive action simple action that you can do that's going to change your life, that's going to improve your business, that's going to, you know, just affect your bottom line positively from the get-go. That's what we're there to do. And I feel like I can do that. Plus, for me, I freaking play drums, man. I, I, I demonstrate it with songs. When yeah. I talk about it, it's not what we play, it's how we play it. I play drums so they get an experience. For, you know, I don't try to be somebody that I'm not. And then I bring people on stage and I have everybody do rhythmic um, you know, one of the important things I talk about is the importance of the value of listening because very few people really listen. 
And I yeah. said, that's been one of my amazing assets. So I demonstrate, take them through rhythmic ex- exercises, teaching them literally how to listen from my standpoint, but they can now apply that back to their own life and they can talk about it. And, you know, I love it. That's why I like to stick around all day because I want to, I want it to resonate. I want people to see me to, I'm going to be the memory key for them. And then we can discuss the things that, that, that I talked about that, that they learned and how they can further implement and really sort of slam at home. So the next day they wake up, they go, well, I can implement this particular thing that Mark talked about and it's going to be effective. And, you know, that's what business is, right? Business is about being effective. You talked about the 95 to 99% success rate. That's frightening. That's because people, you know, don't have clarity. They're not putting, they're not concentrating their capabilities in the right, in the right area. You know, universal theories and concepts that are, that are foundational are going to work for any business. And that's what I try to draw upon. It's just kind of what I know from my own experience of the success that I've had. And the failures, too. I talk about the big failures, man. Yeah. I do too. I do. Too. I actually talk about failures because it's it's a much bigger reservoir to draw from. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you that story you just told. I want to hear about. You know, I, I can't. Well, like that's got to be a that's a story. You know, you you got in a in, in a drag. You were you were a drag queen essentially. You know, I mean, and look at you now. You know. Yeah, I've got to stop wearing those. Dresses. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 when you were talking, I was like, oh, wow, I can wear the clothes. Go, Bob! <laughs> now, you often talk about the secrets to achieving and maintaining stadium-sized success. Is that is that the same the same principles? Oh, I'll tell you, man. It, it, it is the same principles. I mean, I, I've gotten used to playing on arenas and stadiums. Let me tell you, man, I've done a few executive summits. I've done, I think, three in the last six months where I'm speaking to 20, 22 people in a small room with my drum set and a PA. And I got to tell you, that's more challenging for me than speaking to 20,000 people. I agree. I can... I can walk out in front of 20,000 people, no problem. Stick me in front of 11 and I'm as nervous as hell. Well, that's the thing, and, and so that's, that's when I really realized that universal concepts are universal concepts, because it's still about communication, it's still about making the decision, it's about how, how to take the action, what to focus on before you take the action. Yeah, universal, universal concepts. I, uh, <laughs> one of my favorites was, I spoke for an executive summit for the Honest Company, which is Jessica Alba. Yes, yes. I mean, who, who hasn't had a crush on Jessica Alba, right? So I'm sure. sitting in there. In like 20, 22 people and Jessica Alba in a room the size of my living room, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, I bring people on, I bring people up to demonstrate, but I always, I, I don't, I always let people, at, you know, operate on their own free will. So you know how badly I wanted to bring Jessica up and, <laughs> but I thought, no, I'm going to get a volunteer from the audience. going to be cool. But, um, you know, we, that, that, that's part of what I talk about is how to move through those moments of those tenuous moments. You know, the, the truth is that you don't want to get completely get rid of the stage fright of the fear. I mean, here's an example. I interviewed a lot of people. I interviewed Guy Fieri, and Guy is a very yeah. confident, real rock star, you know. And he said, you know, man, I, I like to have a little bit of fear in the belly. It keeps me on my game. He's super cool. And then when we talked, he became more comfortable with me. He said, Dude, I got to tell you the truth. He said, I need to feel a little bit of that fear because it keeps me aware of the consequences and makes me make sure that I'm giving my customers, my clients, the true value for their money. And yeah. it reminded me of my time with this band, Foreigner. I played with Foreigner three different times. I love playing with that band, but the first time I played with Foreigner, we did two records. We were touring so much. At one point, I'm walking to the stage and I'm Sitting there thinking it's God's big joke because I have played feels like the first time about 400 certain times. But I had no fire in the belly. Yeah. And frankly, I realized at that point I sucked. Like that last few weeks of performances, I was not in peak performance, so to speak. So I knew I had to do something. Yeah. So I started running out in front of the audience and just connecting with their excitement because I'd grown to one of the studies I did is I realized the chemistry for fear and excitement in the body are essentially the same thing I think you probably noticed. Yeah. So the very things that can make us afraid are the things that make us excited, and that's what undermines us. So 
I figured by connecting with their excitement, it's going to inspire a little bit of those butterflies. I got the butterflies back in the belly. And within two gigs, I was peak performance again because it's not about getting rid of the stage fright on the theater. It's about taming it and harnessing it. Because it also it puts you in like a, this acute sort of like hyper-aware space. You know what I mean? Like you get on stage, you don't want to feel nothing. You feel nothing, man, you suck. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, true. So I, I realized that that's part of it is taming and harnessing it. So, you know, whether, you're, whether it's 20 people or one person, which can even be harder, or 20,000 people, you want a little bit of that fire in the belly. It's when it gets deleterious, overwhelming, that you need to figure out ways to control it. And that's why I give some specific techniques um, in my book. Because at the end of every chapter, I actually have little, little uh, sort of exercises because, you know, I mean, we all learn differently, so it's not like everybody's going to take the exact same information and implement it the same way, so I try to give them a, 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 like, sort of different ways, different, different styles of implementation, if you will. So 99% of people listening to this show um, are called on at some time or another to give a presentation, whether it's at, at their work or whether it's at somebody's wedding or something, and they're all they're always nervous, and I must admit, before I get up on the stage, I I get nervous, and I, I actually go through that. God, what's what's my opening line again? What am I going to say? Who's, yeah. who's this company? You know, all of a sudden, I have a <laughs> total mental block. Um, so, how does how does Joe out there? How does he overcome that? Um, that fright. I mean, the first one is obviously preparation. The more prepared you are, the more confident you are. But um, yeah. what do you suggest they do to, to just overcome that fear? Well, here's the thing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate what you just said. I mean, you go back to the three core concepts. You, you need real clarity about why you are there, what you are there to communicate. And then you need to be have developed the capabilities. You say, be prepared. Because I'll tell you something, man, if you go on stage and you're not prepared, you should be freaking scared. That's your defense. That's your body's defense mechanism taking, taking control. Uh, so, but if you have clarity about what and why you're doing it and you've done the work and you still have sort of this overwhelming stage, right? Um, here's three examples, three quick tips and tricks that, that um, I use. And, and you kind of tap into it a little bit. You said, what's the name of that company again? What's my opening line? You know, Tony Shea said something that's great. Now, Tony Shea <clears throat> runs Zappos. He's a billionaire. Yep. He speaks for fun. He wrote a great book, Delivering Happiness. He's, he's definitely a philosophical man. He's become a friend. But, you know, this guy doesn't have to speak, man. He don't need the money. Sure. <laughs> you know, he's enough yeah. of the proof, you know? So he said he still gets super nervous as well. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, well, I learned that the jitters go away. 30 to 45 seconds, they're going to be gone. And that, that's the case with about 95% of us, unless you have some bigger emotional issue, which I'm not going to address now because that's something you really should discuss with a therapist or, or someone who's trained. <laughs> but if you're like most of us and you just get this nervousness and it gets a little overwhelming because you might not be that used to speaking or you just get it anyway, it's sort of a general thing that happens to you. What Tony Shea does, I do the same thing. He's got a go-to story that he just knows so well that he, he's got it memorized that he can almost go on autopilot and yep. work through the jitters. Yeah, that go-to story. You know my go-to stories? Well, first of all, I don't want to give away the intro when I do because it's a bit of a surprise, but essentially my go-to story is I play drums. I play a song. Right. Because, you know, when it comes to speaking versus playing drums, I'm more comfortable playing drums. I've been doing that longer. So <laughs> I get on stage and play drums, and that loosens me up. Yeah. And then they get the audience doing an interactive clapping exercise. So everybody listens to that. It also brings them, we get, we get immediate resonance. If yes. you do something sure. just to get immediate resonance, tell a story, do something funny, engage them, and you work through the jitters. You know, I'm telling you, man, you work through the jitters, and you get some smiles, you get immediate response from them, and that, that, that speaks, speaks volumes. Here's, here's another, another one. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Rhonda Beeman, she's an amazing speaker. She was a professor. She's retired now at Cal, uh, Cal State University, San Luis Obispo. This gal was so good, I know, because I spoke after her once uh, years ago, and she became a friend, and she was so good. And I, and, and I interviewed her for my book, and she said, I'm scared shitless every time I go on stage. She said, you're kidding me. So what do you do? She goes, you know what, man? I act confident. 
<laughs> I, it's like I'm, I'm playing a role because she said, you know, she has a clarity. She knows what she's going to talk about. She's done the work. She's got a little too much tutors. So she yep. goes on stage and she plays a role because she says essentially within about, same thing within about 45 seconds, my brain believes it. Yeah. You know, it's like we're bigger than our minds. You know, to get a little metaphysical here, it's like you are not your mind. You know, there's, there's something driving the train. There's spirit, whatever you want to call it, God energy, whatever your philosophy is. That's not the issue. It's just know that your mind will listen to you if you take control. So if you act confident, you will then become confident because that's what the mind does. The mind is, is, is the spirit is senior to mind. I'll say it that way. Yeah. And then my own one that I do, like I kind of laugh at myself because I was getting so overwhelmed, even though I'd worked so hard on these speaking gigs, I was scared shitless. And one day I just started talking to myself as crazy people do, you know? Yeah. And I said, hi, Mark. I, I, I jumped outside of my body, started coaching myself. I said, okay, Mark, who are you thinking about? Um, uh, myself. Okay, Mark, well, who might you be thinking about instead of yourself? Um, oh, the audience. Said, oh, what does that make you, Mark, if you're just thinking about yourself? Uh, selfish bastard. Very good. <laughs> and I started realizing that, you know, if I looked at the audience, it's kind of the same thing I did with the, the opposite I did with the foreigner people. I started connecting with them and, just empathizing with their wants and needs. And instead yeah. of being so, because when we're nervous, we tend to be so insular and so self-focused and self-obsessed. You're there to be of service. Yep. You are there to, um, you know, tap into them. So when I, when I remind myself of that, I realize I'm being a selfish bastard. I start laughing at myself and then I release. And one other thing, I get really free to fail, man. I get free to fail big. People don't think about that. But I think about, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? I walk on stage, I trip, I fall, I knock out, there's blood everywhere, I can't give the speech, I have to refund the money, they just rush me to hospital, it's embarrassing. Or I fall off the drum stool, break my arm, I'm screaming in pain, and I start laughing because I realize, okay, it just happened, now what? I get free to fail big, the more free I am to fail, the better my chances are of succeeding. Sure. It, it, it sort of creates this, this, this component of, okay, I'm free to fail, and I laugh. It always, this stuff always makes me laugh. And inevitably, anytime you can laugh, you're reducing the stress. When you reduce the stress, you crack through that fear and that anxiety that's overwhelming you, and you get it, you get it under control, and you get it manageable. So those are my quick tips and tricks for everybody. Okay. Now, I... I, I <laughs> came across a publication the other day called Busy Dad to Better Dad, and bugger me, there's Mark Shulman again. This guy just pops up everywhere. Now, with Father's Day just being last weekend, I thought I would mention this article. The headline screams, lesson number one, the lesson from Pink's drummer Mark Shulman. One of the tips the article found to be most valuable was, whenever you use the words have to, change it to get to. What is that about? And how does that make you a better dad? Well, it's funny that they, I haven't seen that. And I love that they put it in that context because I love being a father. And I, I, my, I was 48 when my one and only kid was born. So I'm, I'm just enjoying it. Man. But here's the thing. Um, this guy by the name of Bernard Roth, he's a Stanford professor. He actually wrote a book on what he calls design thinking. And I apply that back to top performance. You change kind of the way you position your thinking and it shifts what actually occurs and how you approach things. And it was my ex-wife, Kelly, <laughs> I first heard this from years ago. <laughs> you know, our whole relationship, she had cancer. And right. She was a true fan. You know, today she's had like 84 blood transfusions. Uh, Ah, two courses of chemotherapy, a stem cell transplant, yeah. four pacemakers, and, you know, heart surgery, lung surgery. And, and, and she's a trooper. She's still alive. She's still a great, great friend, dear friend of her family, of, of my wife Lisa and mine now. But the first time she's going through chemotherapy, you know, she was losing her hair. Like, it's so angry, man. You're already sick and tired. This beautiful woman, beautiful longer that hair is losing her hair. And she was such a good sport, and one day she just loses it. She just starts crying. She runs out of the house. She's gone for hours. I'm worried sick about this before her cell phone. Comes back, throws open the door. I don't even recognize her. She's smiling so big. She 
she cut her hair really short and dyed it bright blonde, and she's so happy and so energetic. I'm like, well, what were you thinking? She said, well, you know, instead of looking at it like I have to lose my hair, she said, I decided to look at it like I get to have a new hairstyle. <laughs> and, you know, then, then fast forward, I'm interviewing people from my book, and I'm interviewing Robbie Gould, who's the kicker for the Chicago Bears, the second most accurate kicker in the NFL. And he says the same thing. He goes, man, instead of looking at it like, you know, I have to work harder than everybody else, because I do, I look at it like I get to be world class. Yeah. I thought, well, this is not just, you know, pop psychology. And then I, you know, checked out Bernard Roth's philosophy about it. And I realized there is a way to shift your thinking, certainly when things are mundane, you know, because I have to, it feels like a chore. A get to feels like a choice. I have to feels like you're the effect, and a get to feels like the cause. Yeah. So if I looked at, like, you know, a great example for me, like when I tell you know musicians, you don't have to practice; you get to practice. Because right. Then you get to find your craft, and you can apply it to anything. And it's an amazing thing to teach other people, especially in these stressful work environments. You know, when yeah. people go, "Well, I." You know, I have to work. No, you get to work. You know, when we're sitting in a conference, I said, we're the luckiest people on the damn planet right now. You get to be here with your colleagues. You get to enrich your, you know, your skill set, your mindset. I mean, life is good, you know? That is, and so, that is great advice. Mate, we're, we're running a bit out of time, um, but um, my, um, my wife previous wife, um, similar situation to you, she passed away from cancer and went through all the same things that um, your wife did. That's a, that's a tough time and um, I had the same experience where yeah. my wife um, chopped off her hair and, and, and dyed it as well and decided that you know this was her new look for as long as it lasted and it, 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 it does make a difference. But one of the things I want to mention about you is, and to me, one of the most important traits of great people is when they give back to the society that's been so good to them. And uh, you were the chairman of the board of directors of Create Now, which is a non-profit organisation founded to help change troubled children's lives through creative arts. You've also worked extensively with Ronald McDonald House and Teenage Cancer Trust in the UK. And uh, you talk on motivation and positive attitude to people in prison. Mate, all those things are what make you you are not only a superstar drummer and one of the most effervescent people I've ever met, but <laughs> um, you're also one hell of a nice guy and I applaud you for giving back. So, Mark, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and you can learn oh, more Bob, about... It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, brother. Okay, well, and you can learn more about Mark Shulman by going to markshulman.com and there are fucking millions of pages of stuff on this guy and it's all good. Um, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs on the planet. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. In what is fantastic news for the planet, England's plastic bag usage has dropped by 85% since a $0.07 charge was introduced last October. The Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs announced that 6 billion, that's 6,000 million fewer plastic bags were taken home by shoppers in England. This is the equivalent to the weight of roughly 300 blue whales, and they're big mothers. So that's a lot of plastic bags. And the levy also resulted in 
$38 million donated to charity and other good causes thanks to the charge. Now, the um, bag fee was introduced to help reduce litter and protect, protect wildlife. And the idea came about because British consumers were steadily using more and more plastic bags every year. The reduction means that precious marine life is safer, communities are cleaner, and future generations won't be saddled with mountains of plastic. Incidentally, England is the last member of the UK to adopt the scheme. Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have been charging for bags for years. Wales, for instance, stopped giving out free plastic bags in 2011, cutting usage by 71% in the next couple of years. Now, government bans or fees on single-use items are clearly working, and they come at a crucial time for our, for our oceans. Now, starting a, a report from earlier this year warned that if plastic pollution continues at the current rate, there'll be more plastic in the sea than fish. By 2050, around 8 million tonnes of plastic makes its way into oceans each year, and this poses a serious threat to our natural and marine environment. So this dramatic reduction shows that even small actions can make a big difference, but you've got to get on the phones and and on your um, emails and Barrage your um, representatives into keeping the pr- and keep the pressure up. You know we can all do our small bit to um, slash or eliminate the plastic footprint. We really need to turn our attention now to the millions of non-recyclable coffee cups that go into landfills. God, it's, if you sit outside a uh, coffee shop or drive along a freeway, it is unbelievable how many are those polystyrene coffee cups that there are. And we've also got to pay attention to the oversized boxes and excess packaging that is produced by online shopping. We had a package delivered yesterday and, you know, it was box after box up inside box. So you get all this cardboard um, just to pack a simple little thing that's not going to damage. Now, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show salutes entrepreneurial surfers, Peter Kleglinski and Andrew Turton, who they're our heroes today. They invented the sea bin, which is a revolution in ocean cleaning technology. It's a um, floating ocean vacuum. And these two guys who are surfers from Perth, Australia, and this thing automatically sucks up everything floating in the water from plastic bottles to paper, oil, fuel, detergent. It does it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They're designed to be placed in marinas and are about $2,500 each. Um, I've got a, we've got a house in, um, in Sydney on the water in Sydney Harbour with a marina just below us. And there's one corner of the, of the marina that just keeps collecting all the trash. It's just the way the, the water circulates, it all gets piled up in one corner. So you put one of these sea bins in that spot and it just sucks up all of the trash. And that's, that's pretty sensational. Um, and it's no small problem. You know, there are five giant garbage islands that swirl around in the world's major oceans. And uh, the one in the North Pacific Ocean, it's just a mass of plastic. And it's the same size as the United States. I mean, it's not just a few pieces of plastic. It's the same size as the United States. Unbelievable. We've got to do something about it. And see, Ben? Great invention, couple of surfers, and uh, congratulations, fantastic idea. And, uh, you know, we're becoming overwhelmed by um, our waste, does incredible damage to the environment. Inventions like this help solve it. Thanks very much for helping me celebrate our 250th show. It's quite a milestone for us. Thanks also to my guest, the fabulous Mark Schumann. 
who the man has appeared in front of over one billion people. In the meanwhile, remember that if you are not really pushing the envelope and if you're not living on the edge, then you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, I'll again broadcast from my studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.